sometimes you have something in your mind, something that's, um, I don't know, stirring your thoughts and, and such like, and then Malcolm says, won't you preach on Acts chapter 10 um, next week? And I'm like, well, that actually fits exactly with what I've been thinking all this time. So that's what I want to speak to you about today. Um, yeah, let me not preempt it too much, but it's something that's been in my mind for a while. You know, there, it's the idea of, it, it's, it's not a they, there is only a we. You know, there's not a um, them over there, those people, and us. We are all just the same. We are all just us. And we're going to read in Acts chapter 10. It is the one where Peter has his vision of the sheet with all the animals, the pigs and the giraffe and such like coming down. And then Cornelius, the... Let me stop paraphrasing. Let's read the passage. How's that? Cool. Now, it's going to be on a little screen here. My, my uh, smartphone, as, um, <laughs> as Dan said. Um, we were supposed to be able to use this thing with my laptop. Didn't want to work. Long story short, we have that. As a Syria, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those he need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, and I have to pause there, who prepared the meal, by the way? Anyway, um, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Uh, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? 
And Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour and at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to this poor uh, saint to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, and the baptism of John, of the John preached, and God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the only spirit and power. He now... He, and, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything we did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Hmm. There we go. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in tongues, uh, then speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Phew. Right. That is... Acts chapter 10. There is no they, there is only we. You know, where I'm thinking about Peter and the other believers, they were possibly faced here with a major contentious, possibly very contentious and confrontational issue. You know, go to the, to the Gentiles, you mean the Romans, you mean the oppressors. Surely, surely not them. Surely God loves us. Surely God wants us to be his people. Surely he has promised to get us out of captivity and all that kind of stuff they might have been thinking. And what about Cornelius? You know, he must have had some, some feelings himself, you know, some biases, some, some thoughts. Um, but you know what I like about Cornelius is um, where God says to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. You know, God notices all of us. Um, he sees us all, he knows who we are, but it seems to me that he notices also especially if we are kind to the poor and if we are, if we are giving and if we are generous. I know for myself, I miss this sense of joy I get from, from being generous, from being generosity. Um, I think before, my heart was much softer to this. Now I can use the excuse and say, I don't see as much poverty as maybe I used to when I lived in in other countries, but 
the truth is that that is, that is really no excuse. I remember a time a few years ago, we were living here in this country, Provident and I became aware of a, a need in one of the Southern African churches where they were literally, they, they had absolutely nothing. They would, they would take up a collection on a Sunday, that one Sunday to buy antibiotics for one child in a congregation to clear up an infection. The next time they would, they would take up money for one family to have a few tins of baked beans. That is how poor they were. And I remember hearing this and feeling, feeling struck by it, feeling saddened by it. And Bromden and I arranged for a shipment of food and blankets and toiletries and toothbrushes and whatnot to go to them. I don't even remember what it costed us. It was, it was a few years ago, but what I do remember is a sense of joy, the joy that I felt when that happened. And I, I know I missed that, so I thought I wanted to share that with you, you know, in case there's, there's something, something for you that maybe you are missing. If you're missing some joy, God seems to, God seems to really, really notice if we, are, if we are generous. So back to Peter who was probably thinking, you know, you've got to be kidding. I'm not going to go to those people. They are the others. The others, them. It's not us. And I often think about the other. Who is the other? Who are the others in our lives? Who can possibly be, you know, the others? I think um, it could be other races, right? It could be religions, class, people with wealth, age. You know, gender, gender identity, language, there's a whole lot of stuff that can separate us from other people. You know, have you ever felt like the other? Um, I think I've been on, on both sides of that, of that camp in my life, being the other and being, being, being othered and othering others, I think. <laughs> I've probably been there. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in apartheid South Africa, as many of you know. My accent gives me away. And I have many memories of that time. Um, I was very young. Um, I remember a time, and I must have been about five years old. This is a memory that has been imprinted in my mind. Um, you know how emotion imprints memory. You know, so the things we remember are usually things that had emotions attached to them. Um, I was with my mother in the front garden of a house. Now, at that stage, the only people who were not white who I've ever seen were either the ones who came to work in our garden, who were allowed to be there. They had a little, a little book to say they're allowed to be in that area. Um, sometimes on television, but that is it. And there was a woman, she came running down the street, um, fearful, a black woman, very, very scared. And... She asked us, my mother was standing there, and I remember her asking my mother, can I hide? Please, can I hide in your back garden? And my mother said yes, and she ran to the back garden. And the police came, they saw her. And I remember them dragging her out, um, not very, in a very gentle way, with her being petrified. And her crime was that she was in an area where she didn't have a pass to be in. Now, this is a catch-22. You, you were, they were, a lot of black people were allowed to be there if they had work, but they couldn't get to work without the pass. So it's one of those mad, mad situations. But in that case, and then, and then I got a bit older. So in school, there were only white people in my school. Until um, Nelson Mandela was released in 1990, I was about 14 at that stage. Um, 
and suddenly the ones who othered became very scared that they're going to become the others. Uh, and people were petrified. I mean, friends of mine, you know, their parents bought generators and stocked up on petrol and, and tinned food, and you know, because the world is going to come to an end, they thought. Um, so a little bit later, so then, then a bit later, I was um, 1994 when I, when I finished school, Nelson Mandela was, um, uh, he became president of, of South Africa in the first, first elections. When I was that big, was that when the elections were? When the elections? 1994, yeah, yeah. So after the age of about 14, you have to think about, I was, I was part of the elite group of people. I didn't know it, but I was, right? Um, and, then, and then things began to change. So my, my otherness then happened when, when my eyes opened. I became the other from my own culture, from my own family who, who um, uh, because I didn't think like them at the stage, but at the same time, I was also othered by black people in the country because I wasn't part of them. It was a very confusing time for me. But of course, not nearly, not nearly as traumatic as it was for, for people living in South Africa for many years. Um, there was another funny incident. I met my lovely wife in 2002. This is just to give you an idea of how, how otherness worked with me growing up. Um, so we went to one of my, my best school friend's wedding. Um, and after the, I mean, just before the reception, we were standing in the garden making small talk with some of the other guests, as you do. And suddenly, the person I'm talking to, with an expression of shock on her face, she said, you're the one who married the English girl. <laughs> right? So even though my wife, was white, looked like me. She was from another culture, which was unacceptable to a large part of my Afrikaans culture. So this relative of my best friend, whom I've never met, my reputation has reached her as the guy that married the English girl. Um, at my wedding, uh, people didn't want to, I mean, I had family members that didn't want to come to my wedding because there were, there were black people there. Um, some of you know Obi. He was, he was there. There he is. He was one of my grooms when he came from. He and I were quite close at the time. And uh, my family was quite nervous about this whole thing, about a black man being there, right? And, and he, he made a speech and, and all sorts. But since then, he became that nice black man that came to my wedding. <laughs> um, my grandmother, bless her soul, she's, she's, I love her to bits. Whenever I speak to her, you know, every second time, how is that nice black man? What's his name again? You know, she doesn't ask with anyone else. But this is, I'm giving you an idea of what it is like, this otherness. Now, I mean, we can talk about the history of South Africa until we are blue in the face. It's a, it's a very long story. But why, why am I telling you this, this story? I think I want to express to you that things like biases, or biases, how do you pronounce that? Um, I know that I have them. And I know that they don't easily go away. You know, I don't... I'm not quite sure what all of them are, but I'm hoping to become more and more aware of them as I, as I go along. You know, even when I now meet, for example, a white South African who speaks Afrikaans, I'm biased. And I think, you are probably racist. That's awful. 
I get the same thing, though, as well. People hear my accent, and I get this assumption of, you probably don't like black people because you're a Afrikaans South African. So this otherness is going on, us and them. And I know that I have biases. I hear uh, Americans speak, and I have a bias, right? I hear you know, Polish people, Germany people. Whenever, you know, and gender and sexuality and all these things have, you know, causes biases in me. And I think it is about, I would probably dare say that it is nearly impossible to have no biases. We have them. That's not what it's about. It's not about not having them. It's about knowing what they are. Because remember, these things are created in us from birth. Some of those neural pathways are set. Now, we can, we can work with them, or we can figure things out, and we can find new ways of being. But sometimes those initial impulses are still going to be there. But it's not about not having them at all. It is about knowing what they are. Certainly, Peter, as I said, must have had these biases. Cornelius must have felt some things. But I'm going to speak to you about something else now that in, along this line that I think is something that, that all of us come across in our daily lives much more now in recent years than maybe previously. I'm talking about the issue of gender and sexuality. Um, there are many names out there. You have transsexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian. There are, in fact, about 29 recognized names for, for sexuality. And as I say, we, we know people like this. But I'm asking you, as I started talking about gender just now, a minute ago, and sexuality, and I named some of those, some of those names, what did you feel? Was there some discomfort that you felt? Did some of you wonder, am I going to preach a new gospel today? <laughs> Am I, you know, if I maybe got some issue with my faith and my convictions? Were you possibly feeling something? I, imagine this. Imagine you either work with someone or you know someone. You've known them for some time. Let's say it's a woman. And you've become friends. And at a work function or down at Tesco, wherever, you bump into, into her. And she says, Owen, oh, this, this is my partner. This is my wife. What do you feel in that moment? What do you say? Are you shocked? Are you astonished? Are you surprised? Now, I'm not saying they have to be perfect here. What I'm saying is take notice of those kinds of feelings because those are biases. If, you, if, if the person said to you, this is my husband, you would have felt nothing. You would have said, hello, how are you doing? Now, what are we thinking? What are we thinking when it happens? I don't know what we're thinking, right? I want us to be, the purpose of this is if we can go away from today being aware of biases that we have towards people, not only to do with sexuality and gender, we're going to get to some other things in a bit, then I think that's job done. Let's become aware of our nature sometimes to other, other people. I would like to assure you, by the way, I'm fully committed to God's plan for families. And I think there are some things that we need to talk about. You are going to come across people. There are 3.6 million people in the UK currently that's just in the UK who identify as, as gay. That's about one in 17 people. It looks a bit like that. That's a lot of people, okay, who in some way identify like this. And we are going to come across these people. What do we do? What do we feel? What do we say? Are we immediately defensive? 
Are we immediately thinking, oh, Genesis, we need to go read something about Genesis? You know, what, what goes through our minds? Now, it's important, I think, again, that we are aware of these things so that it will not interfere with relationships and the possibility of sharing our faith with people. Now, there's something I want to read you, read to you. It's an article that I came across in the BBC a year ago or so. And there are many articles on this topic, but this is one that stuck, that stuck with me. I'm going to try and show that to you. I'll read it to you as well. Right, let's see if you can read that. Can I ask someone from Kenya or, or um, Nigeria to pronounce that name for me so I do it justice? Zainab. Zainab. Zainab, thank you. Zainab is usually delivering babies. As a traditional birth attendant in rural western Kenya, she delivered dozens over the years, but none like the one in front of her now. It had been a tricky birth, but nothing Zainab couldn't handle. The umbilical cord had got twisted around the baby's head, and she had to think quickly using a wooden spoon to untangle it. After clearing the baby's airway, she washed the child and cut and tied the umbilical cord, and it was then that Zainab saw something she'd never seen before. When I looked to see if it was a boy or a girl, I saw two things protruding. This baby had male and female parts, she said. Instead of saying what she usually said at this point, it's a boy or it's a girl, Zainab handed the baby to its mother and simply told her, here is your baby. When the exhausted mother saw that her child's sex was unclear, she was stunned. But when her husband arrived, he was in no doubt about what should happen next. He suggested I hand the child to him so he could drown him in the lake. I told him I would never allow that to happen. He told me, we can't take this baby home. We want this baby to be killed. I told him that the child was God's creation and must not be killed. But he insisted. So eventually I told him, leave the baby with me. I'll kill it for you. But I did not kill the baby. I kept it. This is the first part of a much longer article. She goes on to explain how two years later, the same thing happened to her again. And again, the parents wanted to, the child to be killed. And again, she kept the child. Eventually, she had to flee to Europe, where she lives now with, with the two children. I'm telling you this story, or reading that article to you, to um, perhaps inform, um, I'm guessing, I'm not going to assume that you don't know these things, but that what we're talking about there, what she's describing is what is known in the medical world as this order of sex development. I'm saying this, I bring this up specifically because I have heard a number of times, and again recently, very recently, how it is proclaimed and said with absolute certainty by Christians that it is a boy or it's a girl and this gender nonsense is just all nonsense. And I want to say, and maybe this is controversial, but that is not factually correct. I'm not saying I have the answers for this. I'm not saying I know what to do about this. But sexuality often brings this flurry of feelings that we have. And I think with a little bit of perhaps knowledge, but most of all faith, that God knows what he's doing, that we do not have all the answers, I think is helpful. Um, 
so that when we come across these kind of things, we are not, we are not so dogmatic, perhaps, in our thinking. I have to know, I have to believe that God knows what he's doing. I have to believe that a child is created. What am I going to say? God made a mistake? That is not God's child? That child, that person does not have the, have the ability or the privilege to come into God's kingdom? Now, how that works theologically, honestly, I'm not going to try and figure out. I'm not saying we need to figure that out. What I'm saying is, let's be okay with a bit of ambiguity sometimes and trust God that he is in control. Because with this, there are, there are a number of disorders like this. For example, I'm going to not bore you with the stats, I promise. So there we have the normal female male, right? So, um, oh, I did that wrong, actually. It should be X, Y, and X. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, just, anyway. Those are just a, a few of them. The first one there, um, 46XXDSD, that's when, um, when a child or a baby is looking completely female on the outside, but is male chromosomal on the inside. So there's a, there's a mix of chromosomes coming, going on in one child, in one person. This is often not, not evident in the beginning of um, when a child is born. It often only becomes evident later on when they hit puberty or when they are... Um, uh, toddlers. Very quickly, some stats. Number of children born, 66, or 66 million people in the UK. Births per year in the UK, you got at 775042. Uh, worldwide, you can see 1.29 million people born every year. Medical, medically um, diagnosed at the moment that we know of, children with those conditions are that many. Not clearly male or female. If we just skip through there, so in, in, in Britain per day, 1.18 child per day is born in this country where it's unclear whether they're male or female. In the world, every year, uh, 73,625. Now, these are stats. Okay, stats can be manipulated. I get all that. The point is there are many, many people that we need to, must be open to in this world. Um, that we cannot pretend doesn't happen, that we cannot say they are the other. Um, this really, really helps me with this kind of thing. You know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. Do we have the answers? No. Does anyone have the answers? I don't think so. That doesn't mean that we need to other other people because we don't understand. So, if you weren't uncomfortable before, maybe you are now. Um, so, uh, faith does not require us to understand fully. There are many things that God says we do by faith, and faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. Faith, of, faith is necessary. Christians, I believe, we need to look at these matters with sensitivity, grace, and faith. Um, trusting that we know that God is sovereign, ultimately. So there we have Peter, looking at all his animals, saying, oh, no, I can't eat a crocodile. That is just the worst thing ever imaginable. They were off-limits to him, right? So these were, these were, these were off-limits people, off-limits things, off-limits. That, that's just, I'm not even going to go there. And I suppose, very briefly, perhaps we have got some off-limit things, you know, that's off limits. We're not going to think about that. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to get close to that. 
what is your off-limit thing? What are, the thing? what are the things in your life that God is saying, kill and eat? Well, hopefully not to me, being vegan and all. Um, but um, I don't know, were there any unclean plants? I don't think so. Can't remember. No, no. Anyway. Plant sacrifice to idols, maybe. Anyway. Venus flytrap. Venus flytrap, yes. Uh, but what is your, what is your off-limits thing? What are the things when it comes to, when God says, what about those people? What are the things that you find difficult? I certainly find things difficult. I certainly find it difficult. I still, to this day, even though I have done so much soul-searching about this, so much self-awareness about this, when I meet a black South African, I feel tense. Still, to this day. When I meet them for the first time, if I then get to know them, of course, it's a different story. But that first initial meeting, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Am I going to approach them? Are they just going to think I'm all high and mighty trying to do my, I don't know, colonist thing on them when I try and share my faith with them? It stops me. It inhibits me from going there. I'm suddenly thinking about um, Jonah, right, who was sent to the, to the Ninevites and he didn't want to go because he didn't want them to actually know God. It's that kind of thing. Here's what helps me in that situation is that, I hope this works, aha, that all of us are the others. I'm not sure if any of you are Jewish. Any Jews in the house? No? We are all the other. We are all the one that God said to, to Peter, go to those people. That's us. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. You know, I don't know who's the giraffe and who's the crocodile and who's the hippo, but um, that's us. We are the untouchables. I found this little, this little <laughs> picture which I really liked. You know, where it just speaks about how both Peter and Cornelius had the reasons to be skeptical, um, but how uh, Peter managed to cross that bridge, cross that chasm, when uh, God says, who are you calling unclean? And I suppose that, that chasm down here, that can be, that can be anything. That is, your, that is your thing, your untouchable thing, your non-approachable thing, your off-limits thing. What is it for you? Um, so as I say to them, you are well aware. This is, this is Peter. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine Peter coming to this person's house? He's got all his family there. They're all Romans. And Peter says to them, by the way, you do know that I'm not really allowed to be here, right? That you guys are actually unclean, that this is going to cause major difficulty. But it's amazing how, obviously, they, they accepted him, um, and it says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. And may I ask, what do you want? Why did you ask for me? What we notice here in Acts chapter 10, and this kind of relates, I think, to the, to the, you know, the others that I've spoken about, is God's plan of salvation doesn't change because they're Gentiles. Right? The same thing happened for them. The same baptism, the same forgiveness of sins. Um, but I do think that when I read this, God is, is challenging me. And it says, you know what? Um, firstly, you don't know everything. You might like to think you know everything, but you don't. You know, as God, it is, 
I mean, Peter, Peter is astonishing, right, where he gets up immediately and he goes, I'm not so sure what I would be like if that were to happen to me. So coming back to not knowing the answers, there are some things we do know. We know that God loves us. We know that he wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We know that God is patient with us as we wrestle with things that we don't understand. And God is patient and he helps us to come to an understanding with peace in our hearts if we ask him. You know, there are no off-limits in, in, in God's eyes. No off-limits people. There's only us. It's only us bunch of sinners. That's who we are. My prayer is that God will help us to figure out to the best of our ability some of these difficult issues that we are faced with. But above everything, that we will uphold his holiness and his righteousness, but without neglecting love and grace. Thank you. Amen.